World Series edition. I'm Steve Gardner along with Jorge Ortiz of USA Today Sports. And uh, Jorge, as we sit in the aftermath of probably one of the best World Series I think we've ever seen, uh, a classic seven-gamer, the Chicago Cubs have snapped the 108-year drought without a title. Your thoughts on the final Game 7 going 10 innings, the series taken to the max. We even had a rain delay to extend things out even further. It's it's just one of those, it just seemed like uh, the World Series that would never end. It did, and it also seemed like the droughts that would never end. And, you know, for both fan bases, uh, it was such an agonizing wait, now finally over for the Cubs. But they had to wait through the rain delay and the extra inning, you know, it just they had to extend the agony just a little bit more because that's how these things go. And you know, it could very well be that um, from now on they will become the uh, Boston Red Sox of um, you know the 2004, seven, and thirteen, where they eventually, you know, once they're rid of that that supposed curse, they take off. Um, but the, the series itself and the game uh, just tremendous. Um, you know, so many emotions, such a uh, such a wave of uh, changes and shift in the game. You know, the the Roger Davis home run, absolutely memorable, and um, and I think eventually the, the better team won, but it was by a scant margin. That's one of those things too. We go back to Game Six and how the Cubs kind of uh, made it into a runaway and set up the Game Seven to the point where. You get all of the drama, and it seemed like teams that score first throughout this entire postseason had such a huge upper hand, and yet in Game 7, we get kind of the opposite of that because you know the Cubs got on the board first, opened up a, a pretty decent-sized lead, and seemed in control. This looked a lot like Game 6 at the beginning, but then it took a strange twist. It did, and it shows you the resiliency of uh, of these Indians. You know, they uh, they scored in a bizarre fashion, a couple of runs in the fifth inning. You know, after John Lester comes in, there's the error by Ross, and then the really wild, wild pitch that allows uh, Kipnis and uh, Ramirez to score. Um, it might not have been Ramirez, but it, it allows two two runners to score, and uh, and suddenly you have a game. And then the very next uh, top of the inning, uh, Ross vindicates himself with a home run. They're up 6-3. You figure, okay, this really is over by now. And, um, and then Lester starts pitching really well, and he's in command. And everything seems like it's going to Cubs way until the eighth with two outs. Lester doing very well, but you know he allows a runner on base. I think it was a walk. And... Um, and then Joe Madden pulls him. You figure, okay, you know, he wants a four-out save from Aroldis uh, Chapman. This should be very doable, you know, just one runner on base, two outs in the eighth, three-run lead, and kaboom, the whole thing falls apart. You know, they, uh, there's uh, Brandon Geyer with a uh, resounding double to drive in a run, and then the most improbable home run we've seen in the World Series in quite a while with Roger Davis as speedster taking a 97-mile-per-hour fastball by Chapman low pitch as well, and deep into uh, the left field corner, you're like, you've got to be kidding me. This is not happening. <laughs> Let's talk about Chapman here. I mean, there was a lot of discussion about Joe Madden using Chapman, an eight-out save in Game 5. 
They had a day off when they had the travel day to Cleveland. He uses Chapman again in this in, in game six to get uh, four or five outs and maybe left him in a little bit longer than most people would have liked, considering you know he threw he threw twenty pitches, which is not that much, but the fact that the heavy workload in game five, the fact that game seven is coming right back up. And Joe Madden goes to him again in the seventh inning here. Do you think it, it, it seems almost obvious that Chapman was not the real Chapman that we've seen during the course of the season? He was not, and you could tell because uh, we didn't see hundred plus out of him. You know, we saw a couple of uh, uh, fastballs right at one hundred. Mostly they were in the ninety-seven, ninety-eight mile per hour range. Which is Fab- so fast. Fabulous fastball for most guys. You know, kind of so-so for Chapman, who will go entire outings without going below 100. Um, and as much respect as I have for Joe Madden, I think he made a big blunder by bringing in Chapman with a five-run lead and then leaving him in to start the ninth with a seven-run lead. You know, and which, in game six. Exactly, in game six. Whichever way you need to get Pedro Strop to warm up, I don't care if you you need to put heaters right next to his arm or Ben Gay on his arm or whatever. You pull Chapman out of there, okay? You know, And it wasn't the four extra pitches. He was really bringing him in way earlier than he needed to um, after, as you mentioned, that uh, heavy workload uh, a couple of days before. And, and so he wasn't nearly as sharp. Now, to Chapman's uh, credit, after you know those two big hits and then Coco Crisp got a single, he got out of the inning and then he pitched a one 2 3 ninth. And, uh, and that kept him in the game, you know. And I think there is a certain toughness that you need to show in a, in a situation like that where they, you know, your world's crumble upon you. You know, we heard later he was crying. You know, David Ross went over to console him. And he still put it together to pitch that ninth inning and strangely ended up getting credited with a win. The interesting thing, too, is that after the ninth inning was over and the, um, the Indians didn't score... We had a rain delay, and we find out a little bit later on, as we went into the clubhouses and talked to the to the players, that that was an opportunity for a guy who was much maligned throughout the entire season and the postseason for the Cubs to kind of show some leadership. Jason Hayward essentially called a team meeting during the course of the rain delay, and delivered a very strong message to to the rest of the Cubs. He did, and the message was, you know, we're the best team in baseball for a reason. We have the best record for a reason. You know, we should keep hanging in there, you know, fight like brothers, you stick together, we're going to win this game. Uh, how much of a difference something like that makes, I, I can never really tell. You know, I think in sports writer lore, we like to make these things out to be you know, Nook Rockney. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how much Jason Hayworth's words really helped Ben Zobers deliver that double down the left field line. You know, but be that as it may, you know, the players talked about how those were some sage words and they were inspiring and what have you. And the reality is that, you know, the Cubs had the meat of their lineup coming up against uh, Brian Shaw. And much like Andrew Miller and much like Corey Kluber, the Cubs had seen enough of these guys by this point where I think they could get a measure of them. And I think that's part of the uh, 
the tug and pull of a uh, seven-game series where eventually the hitters start getting the ads when they get a measure, measure of some of the pitchers. And we saw that with Kluber, who lasted just four, four innings and allowed four runs. So uh, I think they, they Bradshaw was going to have a tough inning to begin with. And with them having seen him a few times, uh, they finally ended up making him pay. And, you know, uh, Schwarber led off with a um, uh, getting on base. And um, I, I think he was it a single or, or walk. Yeah, I can't it was quite. a single. And, and then he got pinch run, pinch run for, and they uh, and the Cubs offense took off from there. Interesting, too, is the fact that we talk about the sabermetric community makes a big deal out of pitchers facing a lineup for the third time, that hitters get a, a, a look at the pitcher and get familiar with them and have such great success the third time through the order. I think that's sort of the same thing that you were saying about the familiarity that the uh, Cubs hitters had with the Indians pitchers because they saw them so much. Um, Corey Kluber, after being lights out the first two times he faced the Cubs in Game 1 and Game 4, was eminently hittable in tonight's game. And same thing with Andrew Miller. Gave up both of those, those pitchers, I think, gave up a total of six runs more than either one of them have given up in the entire postseason to this point. It may be, you know, it just may be the Cubs coming through because of superior uh, physical talent, but I think you're right. The, the familiarity with seeing those pitchers may have played a role there, too. And for that matter, with uh, Aroldis Chapman as well, you know, the Indians were able to, to get to him. Maybe it was he was the, that he was tired, but... Also, hey, maybe they understood and they saw that uh, 99-mile-an-hour fastball and were ready to hit it. Absolutely, and we also should mention that in Kluber's case, he was pitching on three days rest for the second time in the series. You know, it's a lot to ask of a guy, but he wasn't as sharp. He gave up a home run to the very first hitter he faced. So, you know, that right away gave the, um, uh, the Cubs momentum. Then, you know, he gave, gave up a home run to uh, Javier Baez as well. Um, you know, he was sharp in the second and third inning. They got to him in the, in the fourth, and, you know, with some kind of sloppy fielding by the, uh, by the Indians as well. Mike Napoli doesn't turn a, um, a double play that, you know, maybe should have been turned. Um, but you know, they, they were starting to get a measure of him, and then, you know, once Javier Baez hit that home run in the fifth, that was all she wrote for him. Um, Again, same thing with uh, with Miller. I mean, Miller gave up a run in his previous game. So again, start to show a little bit of vulnerability. Um, you know, the, the the hitters. There's only so much they can learn from video. They need to see guys live to really get a sense for how how their pitches move and you know the real velocity and all that. So haven't seen him throughout the series, and you know as much as all those guys uh, pitch, uh, they finally got to them. There's so much in this game seven. I mean, it was one of those games where, you know, you have a leadoff home run to start the game from Dexter Fowler. And by the time we get to the 10th inning, that's washed completely away. You know, Kluber's start washed completely away. That It's out of our memory banks because we focus on, you know, the last few innings. and, and But there were so many things. It just seems like this game had... You know, it wasn't a crisply played game. Um, the Cubs made a couple of errors in the field. The Indians made a couple of, of bad plays in the field. It just had so much. I think this is, I don't know, put put this in the ranks of, of the fall classic games that we've seen. 
I think it ranks right up there with maybe Game 6 in 2011 with the Cardinals and and, uh, Texas Rangers. Um, among the most exciting, unpredictable, crazy kind of memorable games that um, that I think we've seen in the World Series in quite some time. The mere fact that that game uh, came to mind during this one is a standard, or it's a it's a measure of how exciting this game was. Because to me, that's the the gold the gold standard mm-hmm. for just amazing, just breathtaking. Uh, you know, games uh, in a World Series, particularly late in a World Series. This is that was Game Six. This is Game Seven. Uh, I don't think it it was quite at that level, but it was. It, you know, it's in the conversation. Uh, you know, just the the Roger Davis uh, home run of, of Chapman. The uh, the Cubs coming back in the tenth. Uh, you know, so many just remarkable things happening. So. Um, Oh, we have some other fellow sports writers. How about that? Joining the podcast right now. Got a podcast. We got Bob Nightingale around here. We'll get, we'll get Bob. Bob Nightingale. Let's let's ask USA Today's Bob Nightingale. Bob, in terms of World Series games that you can remember, tell me how does this thing, how does this game, this game seven, rank up uh, among those? One of the top ones, maybe uh, top, you know, top ten for sure. I wouldn't say, you know, it was an instant classic. You know, we talk about great games, you know, as you guys were talking about, the Texas Rangers Cardinal one. Of course, you can't forget the uh, 2001 Diamondbacks-Yankees beating the great Mario Rivera in the dynasty. And, of course, Shaq Morris, uh, you know, winning over the Braves in the uh, classic pitching matchups in, in, in uh, you know, 1991. Uh, so, yeah, we've had some great ones, and this is certainly in the conversation. But I wouldn't put it among the top. All right. As we look ahead now, uh, the Chicago Cubs, World Series champions, will probably go into next season as the favorites to repeat again. I mean, the roster is full of outstanding young players, all under contract for the next several years. Do we have a making of, of perhaps a Chicago Cubs dynasty right now? First of all, did you say Chicago Cubs World Series champions? I, it's not something I'm used to. So, so I, I, I need it to let, roll off the tongue. It, it does it. not. No, I, I need to kind of get a little more accustomed to that. Uh, but no question, uh, that new, young nucleus is tremendous. And I think one change you might see is possibly letting Dexter Fowler go via free agency because they have a young Terrific defensive out center fielder, very energetic, and Albert Almora, who made a really smart uh, heads up play on a, that uh, um, eighth inning, uh, or the tenth inning, when he uh, he run, he went to uh, uh, second base on a fly ball, pinch running for Schwarber. So, but they, uh, you know, the Contreras is back at catcher. He'll be unquestionably the number one catcher. Rizzo at first, you know, that infield is fantastic. Bias at second. Um, as short as you have Russell Bryant at third base, I think the question is going to be, um, where do you put Schwarber and uh, what happens to Zobris? Assuming that um, Almora is going to be in center field, they need to fix um, Hayward as far as his hitting in right field, but you got Zobris and, uh, and Schwarber. So you have an embarrassment of riches. And, um, you know, the, the pitching staff, you still have Lester coming back, you have Arrieta, you have, have Hendricks, Lackey. You know, uh, Jason Hamill, who we, did, we didn't see in this postseason. You know, they, they'll need to decide on a closer. I think it's likely that uh, our oldest Chapman finds another suitor. Maybe not, but um, you know, they have options with Rondon. But 
you know, it's a pretty complete team as it is. So, you know, they only have a couple of um, areas to address. So, because the nucleus is so young, you can see this team. Uh, I don't know if you want to use the word dynasty yet, but definitely getting on a roll where there will be perennial um, a playoff, a playoff uh, participants and World Series contenders. On the other side, the Cleveland Indians, uh, I think, were one of certainly one of the strongest teams in the American League. Well represented their league, even in defeat. And the fact that this wasn't a Cleveland team that was at full strength because they didn't have outfielder, their best outfielder, in fact, Michael Brantley, for the majority of the season. They did not have their number two starter, Carlos Carrasco, their number three starter, Danny Salazar, in the in the playoffs. Um, Salazar did come back, but certainly wasn't at full strength and wasn't a, a starter, just came in, in in relief. So this Indians team certainly is one that could be in good shape for next year, uh, possibly making a return to the World Series as well. Yeah, certainly a strong playoff contenders uh, because of that pitching that you mentioned and because of that excellent double play combination they have with uh, Francisco Lindor, who was already a, already had blossomed into a start of the season and really became a well-known figure nationally uh, during the uh, playoffs. And uh, and Jason Kipnis, Kipnis, a two-time All-Star, a terrific player. Michael Brantley coming back, um, a, a very solid, underrated player in Jose Ramirez at, at third base. Uh, you know, Jan Gomes coming back uh, to, to catch. Um, you know, they have a lot of really good pieces. They know how to manage their, their payroll. Uh, they have a fantastic manager, obviously, in Terry Francona, and and they're a team that realizes how to play within its payroll, how to develop uh, talent and make it work within its market. So uh, I think you can definitely expect them to be strong contenders in the American League Central again next year. I don't think you see them as a team in the same category as the um, the Cubs as far as just the, the the plethora of Tremendously talented young players that the uh, the Cubs have, but uh, a very solid team, absolutely. And the other thing too, Andrew Miller, whom they acquired at midseason, still under contract for next season. They could have that nasty bullpen back intact as well. Indeed, and, Co- and Cody Allen, who I was surprised when they acquired Andrew Miller, remained as a closer, but he proved himself as a terrific closer. Uh, I don't think you'll see Andrew Miller in quite the same role. Next year, probably more of an eighth inning guy as opposed to bringing him in like in the fifth if you need him or the sixth. You know, I don't think that's so workable during a, a full season. But between those two guys and Brian Shaw, you know, you're really shortening the game the way the Kansas City Royals taught us the last, the previous two years that you could. So you combine that with the excellent starting pitching, maybe the continued development of uh, Trevor Bauer, you know, you have something really strong there. Two of the best teams in all of baseball meeting in the World Series. We don't always get that uh, in the Fall Classic. Two of the best managers in baseball and two of the brightest futures, I think, uh, of teams in the major leagues. It turned into a special World Series and uh, and certainly a great one. Jorge Ortiz, thank you very much for uh, joining us and uh, recapping the series. It's it's sad to say that baseball season now comes to an end, but what a way to finish. 
Baseball season ends, but then the hustle of league begins. Baseball never really ends entirely. It's the one sport that seems uh, eternal throughout the season. You know, they uh, talk about uh, free agent signings and uh, trades and uh, arbitration will start in a matter of minutes, probably. So, uh, you know, we'll continue trying to keep our readers and listeners informed through USA Today and the, the walk-off podcast. All right, that'll do it for the post-World Series edition of The Walk-Off. For Jorge Ortiz, I'm Steve Gardner. Thanks for joining us.